everybody, and welcome to the Fortress of Comic News, episode 228. I am one of your hosts, Chris, alongside my editor-in-chief, Mike. <laughs> yeah, uh, not so much, though. I don't I don't <laughs> contribute that much, but um, we do have an editor-in-chief uh, on the show today, the, the big kahuna, um, the big cheese, Mr. Uh, Tom... Brevor is going to be on the show. The real uh, Captain Marvel. The real Captain Marvel, yeah. So, <laughs> editor on a lot of things off at that little indie um, comic publisher known as Marvel Comics, and he uh, he is the vice president of publishing, I believe, is his actual title. So, he's, he's in the thick of it. Um, can't say that anymore, though, without that stupid TikTok song popping up everywhere. This is why I don't have a TikTok. These are some yeah. of the parts of being an old man that's nice. Yeah, well, even I don't have TikTok, <laughs> but somehow it's gotten into my into my bubble. But yeah, so we got Tom on the show today. We're going to talk about all things Marvel with him. Um, I'm very excited. And now Chris is very excited. I'm, I'm not even a huge Marvel fan, but this dude is a living legend. So it's going to be it's going to be a good day, Chris. Yeah, you know, he was he was involved with a little book that I know you kind of like. Yeah. Called Civil War. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a little one. That's a little. Yeah, I mean, he's, it, we'll talk to him about it, but he's had a hand in a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah. So it's it's pretty cool to have him on the show today. Um, yeah. So you went to a con this weekend? I did. How was that? It was fun. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a small con. Uh, I, I I mean, it's hard to say because everybody's uh, high school is different, but it was like a little bit bigger than the size of my high school gymnasium. Oh, wow. Uh, but they did a good job of getting, there was a decent amount of people. It never felt crowded. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, I got to finally meet in person uh, David Whalen, our good friend David. Yep. Uh, shake his hand and uh, get to talk to some people, sell some books and talk about Fortress Comic News as well. And yeah, nice. we're masked the whole time just because we're in a small enclosed area. I felt it was necessary. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah. I, I feel you on that. I mean, I, I think they've been making us wear it all over Albany. I, yeah. I didn't go to a con, but I did go to a comic shop, checked out. Um, I've talked about it before. Uh, Earth. Oh, I always want to say earthbound comics. I can't think of the name though. Um, whatever. It's Earth Something Comics in Albany. The name will come to me, but uh, stopped in there. They're very centrally located in the middle of Albany. Um, Earth World Comics. And uh, they're always cool people to talk to. Had to buy some books. Um, Was chatting them up about comic books, this and that. They actually had an invincible issue that I was looking for, which is hard to find nowadays. Um, Issue 42. So it was just a weird, bizarre issue out of the nine that I need. So um, he wrote a bunch of numbers on his hand and went into the back room. He's like, I think he's putting away some back issues today. Let me check. And he actually came out with it. So that's always nice, you know, to find nice. a little hidden treasure. Yeah. Um, it was funny. We were talking about books and I was like, yeah. Um, uh, what's what's the uh, Radiant Black? I was like, Radiant Black's a really good book. He goes, I've been hearing that from a lot of people, but. I see a lot of it on the shelves and I'm like, that's interesting. Cause I do too. And I, 
Um, when you look around, like everybody's been talking about Radiant Black. I don't know if people just overordered it or something, but it was like I picked up some more issues of it. But uh, um, some of that, so there's a couple of barbaric uh, of those. Have you seen the barbaric issues with? Um, there's a variant cover that's like in a plastic bag. I think Tim Seeley's doing them. Yeah, yeah I uh, there was one of those there. I didn't pick it up, but they're very tempting when they do that because Sex Criminals used to do that too, right? Yeah. Image in general did that a little while back where they took yeah. like key issues of different books and just like yeah. polybagged them. The thing, I think the thing with sex criminals though, was there was one or two actual sketch covers in those bags yeah. that you could pull out. That So that was the fun about those. Yeah. Just some cool stuff, you know, buying comics, reading comics. Um, what more could you want? You know? Yeah. Watched a couple movies. Oh, I watched that new Netflix movie uh, with with Aquaman, Jason Momoa, called Sweet Girl. Oh, okay. Uh, it was okay. It has a big twist in the movie. I don't know if the twist really um, makes the movie better or not, but basically, it's really depressing. Like his wife dies of cancer, and it's because like this. It's very like on the nose. The plot of the movie is like this. Uh, <sighs> This pharmaceutical company is exploiting people. They're exploiting people because some politician took a bribe. Ends up that his wife dies, so he wants to kill all of them. Pretty much, that's like the plot of the movie. Um, it's a little more depressing than that. Uh, it was okay. I mean, Netflix just has the money to like pump out these movies. With like, I could have told you right now, I could have wrote the script of, for this movie. Like. You know, you, you got a guy like Jason Momoa. The casting for his daughter and his wife, I think those actresses are like nine years apart in real life. So the casting was god awful. <laughs> yeah. So first off, you have this woman that's supposed to be married to like Jason Momoa. He looks way older than her, and then this, and then she looks almost the same age as her daughter. I was like, this just looks off. Um, but you can tell like someone just threw together this script in like fifteen minutes, and they're like yeah fuck it let's give it 10 million dollars and make this movie like put jason momoa in it and put it on netflix well yeah it's it's funny you say that because i was like reading up on a bunch of stuff on uh what snyder's doing with his uh uh, army of darkness cinematic universe yeah and yeah netflix is just like here's all the money just keep making movies yeah i'm like i mean okay i enjoyed army of darkness but it was definitely a step down from like dawn of the dead right yeah, nothing will ever be Dawn of the Dead. I still haven't even watched Army of Darkness yet. I still need to, but I heard it was meh. So, but I, th- I feel like that's what Netflix has been pumping out. It's just a lot of meh. <laughs> it's enjoyable. Uh, like, yeah, I, I think you'll enjoy it about as much as I did. But mm-hmm. it's it's definitely no Dawn of the Dead. Like his Dawn of the Dead was really good. So. Oh yeah, yeah, Dawn of the Dead's classic. Um, and then I watched Green Knight because that's for you can rent that now. That was just in theaters a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. Um, which. Not an action movie. It's very uh, indie and slow paced. Um, kind of creepy. It's like the like. If anybody wants to know what it's about, just look up the tale of the Green Knight. It's an actual folklore tale from back in the day. Um. So there's like, there's some like m- mystical and like weird shit happening in the movie. Um. Uh. Sir. Uh, Sir Galen, I think his name is. He's one of the knights, uh, or he's actually the nephew of King Arthur. Um, 
and he has to go on a quest after this thing happens with a green knight who shows up. He's he, the green knight is pretty much swamp thing. He's like this knight made out of like branches and twigs and shit. Um, it, it was an interesting movie. It was definitely I think a twenty four published it so or <laughs> produced it so you could tell like that type of pacing and stuff. Um, it was okay. I wouldn't watch it again. Um, I wanted a little more. It was a lot of like him walking, like not and not like Lord of the Rings walking. You know, it's like like empty space walking where like there wasn't really much to look at in the movie. But um, I will say I made the better choice because when I went to the movies last month, it was either go see Jungle Cruise or The Green Knight. <laughs> and let's say I'm glad I went and saw Jungle Cruise at the theaters. <laughs> Jungle Cruise does feel like more of the theater movie. Yeah. yeah. And I still like out of the three movies that I've watched recently, Jungle Cruise is still the best one. So <laughs> I can't complain there. Um, all right. You got any news? What's going on? Oh, did you watch What If this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not a lot of news on the entertainment front this week. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. What If uh, episode two, not issue two. So I think it's a. Uh, head and heels so much better than the first episode and that's mm. we talked about it i enjoyed the first episode but it has its problems yeah um this one was way better it told a more of a story and less mm-hmm. of a this happened than that happened so it's what if t'challa became star lord okay that's basically what it is and I love how they took the basically Star Lord is just such a pot or not Star Lord, sorry, T'Challa is such a positive person mm-hmm. that he just changes the course of everything from like convincing Thanos that the snap isn't necessary and right. to join the Ravengers. Yeah. Like stuff like that. Yeah. So it's a better overall story. It ends on a cliffhanger, which was weird. So I almost wonder if we're going to get like another, like a part two, which would be interesting. I'm mm-hmm. down for that to happen. Yeah, And then uh, there's a moment at the end. This isn't a spoiler for the story itself, but it just kind of goes to black. And it says, like, this episode is dedicated to Chadwick Boseman. Mm -hmm. And I just started to get teary-eyed. I was like, oh, Mm. fuck. Yeah, it's it's really sad stuff. Damn. And so it brought me back to that moment. And then, but it was, like, really cool that he was able to do the voice before he passed because it just just oozed with his passion. Oh, he and did? Love for I that didn't know character. that. That's pretty cool. It's So what if is, if not the last, one of the last things he did before he passed away. So he actually wow. has like other episodes he did. I don't mm-hmm. know if he's the star of those episodes or not, but yeah, he, uh, he did all the voicing for uh, T'Challa and what if. So nice. I didn't know. It. That's, that's interesting. I didn't know you got to do that. So that's yeah. cool. So I do know this is the last thing recorded that we will get that's new. Mm. But I can't remember if this was like the last thing he did or because obviously he did some indie movies and a few other little things. Right. right. He was yeah, doing a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I found out. Did you know this? That uh, before Chris Farley died, he pretty much voiced the entire first Shrek movie. No, as Shrek. Yeah, like it, it. Like if it wasn't Mike Myers, it was going to be Chris Farley. And I had heard that like they it had gotten to the point where that he he had voiced most of the movie. And there's a there's got to be a file somewhere with Chris Farley Shrek. Like, so I've made it clear my opinion on like release the Snyder cut, release the yeah, air cut, and these like right. movements. 
if ever there was a movement that we need, it is release yeah. the Farley cut of Shrek. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, fa- I'm so curious of like where, like where is it today, and like what does he sound like? The fact that I'm just hearing about this right now, August twenty second, twenty twenty one, and nobody has said we need to release the Farley cut of Shrek. There are some. I will say right now. I just looked it up. There's uh there's a video on YouTube that says Chris Farley is Shrek, so they have like storyboards with his voice doing Shrek. I, well, that's what I'm doing tonight. But the fact yeah. that that wasn't a movement and release the air cut is a movement just proves that humanity is just done. Right. I'm like, but, what are you guys doing? Um, but on. yeah. Oh, that's uh, dude. I. There was something so else too. <laughs> Chris Farley was supposed to be someone else before he passed away, and I can't remember. It was some iconic character. I don't. I don't think it was Austin Powers. No, it was someone else. No, because that's a Mike Myers. Yeah, that's Mike, that. Yeah, Mike Myers Production Company did that. Um, I can't remember, but that new Eternals trailer, huh? Yeah, you get yeah. you got a chance to watch it, right? Oh yeah, that was awesome. I think it was way more in- interesting than the first one. Yeah, this is the first time. Other than like, it's kind of a joke, but uh, I was going to see Eternals, even though I didn't care because it's a Marvel movie. Right. And I'm exactly. just ingrained in this universe at this point. But yeah. this is the first time where I was like, ooh, this looks good. Right. They actually like <laughs> e- explained what the plot was. They're like, the first one, they're just like people sitting around a table making an Avengers joke. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> yeah. And they like, they kind of explain a little bit like why they didn't interfere before and mm-hmm. this and that, which is, I mean, I get it. Just throw in a quick line so that fanboys will shut up. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they're like, all right, they're being annoying. And then we get the return of the Celestial. Not Galactus, everybody, a Celestial. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which was awesome. That's, and, uh... And is that is that the villain is one of the Celestials? I think... I'm thinking because they have the line in there that like we were when they were asked like why didn't you help out with Thanos and yeah. uh, I forget the character but she says like we were instructed not to my feeling is that the Celestials are the ones that instructed them not to okay yeah because you see like a, you see a big bad like fighting um, Angelina Jolie's character yeah but it, w- it wouldn't surprise me down the line they try to do that uh I'd be shocked if they were the big bad for like this movie. Right. Cause that's like a end game style, big bad. Yeah. You don't really go any further than that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know about that, but I do seen Icarus with like laser eyes running around. Yeah. I was like, Oh man, like this just looks good. And I'm excited now. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Um, and, and the costumes look better in this one too. Maybe yeah. it's just, maybe they were doing all those shots that were like kind of motionless. Or at least where they weren't doing anything and it just yep. looked bad. But when yep. he was running around like shooting laser beams at people, <laughs> I was just like, All right, costume looks awesome. I'm down. Yeah, yeah, it looked pretty cool. Um, I still don't know what's Kit Harrington doing in the movie. Which is Jon Snow one of the Eternals? Yeah, he's. Uh, um, or is he just like a dude that's in the middle of all the danger? No, he's Black Sword. Or something like that. I forgot. Jeez, I'm zoning on the name. Oh, right okay. now, he is so one. He is yeah, one, he of, them? Is one okay. of them. Yeah. He's John Snow with a mask is what he is. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. He was like, well, you know, he has prior experience in sword fighting. Here you go. Give him the spot. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump to this awesome interview with Mr. Tom Brevoort and we'll see everybody on the other side. 
right, everybody. This week we have yet another very, very special guest for you all. Everybody, welcome to the show, Tom Brevort. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Tom. Hello. How you doing? Good. How are you, sir? I'm fine. And I, I, I found this like digging in, you know, your history and all this. Is it true you've really edited over like four thousand comics? I haven't kept a count, but. <laughs> I've been doing it for three decades, so it's quite possible that that's that that's a number that's close to factual. Uh, and I guess, like, I mean, before we get into your origin story, like, when you edit, what's a the bo- best one? Yeah, no, no, no I, wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't gonna say that. I was gonna ask, like, while you're editing a book, right? I mean, you've done it. You've done so many now that it's like. Do you know when something's going to be like a big hit? Like when you when you're editing something, you're like, oh man, this is like this is going to be something special compared to like you know, I, I not to put any other books down, but like you can you know like oh this is going to be like something that people are going to talk about for a while. Honestly, the answer there is sometimes. Yeah. Um. You know, there are certainly plenty of books that I've put out that I've thought, man, I really like this. I think this is great. Mm-hmm. And the response from the audience at large has been, eh, that's all right. Really? Um, and there have certainly been books I've put out where I've gone, this isn't so good. Uh, and, and the response from the audience has been, this is cheese and crackers. Uh, um, yeah, right. So so the reality is, if 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 we knew exactly what was going to work every single time, that's yeah. all we would do. We wouldn't bother with the other stuff. It's <laughs> right. the fact that we don't know necessarily 100% what's going to work and what's not right. going to work that, that, that keeps it all interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I guess it makes sense. You can't really always, you know, speak for the people on that stuff and what their taste is. Um, but all right, let's let's hear the origin. I know you've probably told it so many times, but I mean, it, it all started with the internship, right? And then and that's how you got your foot in the door at Marvel. In terms of the Marvel stuff, yeah, I was a, an illustration major at the University of Delaware, and as part of that program, in your senior year, you had to serve an internship. Uh, and they had had uh, somebody, I don't know who it was, but they'd had somebody a couple of years earlier who'd interned at Marvel. So it was a, it was a thing that was a possibility and that they knew about. Uh, and I had been, you know, interested in doing comics since I was six. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I sent outreach letters, not just to Marvel, but to pretty much everybody that was a publisher in 1989 that was within reach. Uh, and Marvel was the only one that got back to me. Which is which is great. Um, so I ended up interning there in the summer of 1989, and by the end of '89, I was on staff as an assistant editor, and I've kind of been around ever since then. Wow! And I mean, of all the places to get back to, is Marvel, right? Were you were you always more of a Marvel fan? Um, I've vacillated back and forth for the first couple of years that I was a reader, as a relatively young child. I was a full-on DC fan, and I actively didn't like Marvel at all. Wow. You know, to the point where, because in those days, I wasn't buying my own comics. You know, my my parents were effectively buying them for me. My dad was a a, a, a heavy smoker, so you know, we would routinely cruise down to like the Seven Eleven or a, a stationery store or something, so that he could buy a carton of cigarettes. Um, and uh, you know, sometimes he would just like run in. And, you know, he would get me a comic 
And, you know, every once in a while, that would be a Marvel comic. And the Marvel comics of that period did not appeal to me at six or seven. Uh, And so I would tell him, you know, fairly insistently, don't bring me Marvel books. Marvel books are stinky. They're bad. Um, You know, to the point where years later, when I started reading the Marvel books, he would give me grief about it. Yeah. And he died in the in the mid 80s. He died before I got this job. Right. But he would have been relentlessly squeezing my shoes <laughs> over the fact that I've been working for Marvel for for 3 decades. Um, you know, that would have provided him with no end of enjoyment. Mhm. Yeah, that sounds a lot like my father. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's awesome um that's that's amazing that's what what a story and i guess like now you can say that you're editing the the books that you would want to read right you're you're trying you have your hand in it saying that like okay well maybe i would i would read these a little more than when i was six years old well yeah i mean you know and uh you know i have a website where I've been going sort of chronologically through all the comics that I read, among other things, uh, and and talking about them, good and bad, and you know, looking back at them from a modern vantage point. Uh, and the reality is, you know, there was a lot that I found fault with as a young reader that was accurate, and there was other stuff that was just not aimed. It was not being pitched at me. You know, Marvel Comics in 1973, 1974 wasn't really trying to get the six-year-old crowd. Uh, and so a lot of the subject matter, a lot of the way they would pace stories, a lot of the way things were put together and done in that period, it wasn't designed for me at all anyway. And so the, the fact that I enjoyed Julie Schwartz superhero comics, which were mostly stories in 14 pages uh, that were very clean and very straightforward and simple, uh, that's not at all mysterious to me. Um, you know, Whereas the Marvel books of the time were almost always continued um, were almost always uh, uh, there. They, they had a tendency in that period, particularly in that period around '74 and '75, to make the cover the 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 last page image, mm-hmm. and that drove me bananas as a reader. Yeah, I hated that like crazy. Yeah, uh, because and I I always do the hyperbolic version of it. You know, if I bought this comic because holy smoke. You know, the Red Skull is throwing Captain America into a volcano. How is he going to get out of that? I got to I gotta know. Here's my quarter. Quick, give me the comic. Yeah. And I'd read 17 pages. And on the last page, it would be Schweinhund. Now I will cast you into this volcano. Uh, and Cap would be falling in to be continued. Yeah. And I'd be pissed. And I'd be pissed because as a young kid, you have no control over whether or not you're going to get the next issue or not. Right. Right. I wasn't I wasn't going or being bought comics on such a regular basis that I could feel like, well, I'm going to find out. Not only do I not know how Cap gets out of the volcano, I paid money for a ride, and I still don't know. <laughs> so that sort of thing uh, uh, pissed me off on a number of occasions, it, it, enough so that like I was just not a for a long time a Marvel reader. Wow. Yeah, that's. But, but then I, you yeah. grew up, and you, you know. They got better taste. That's fine. <laughs> That's yeah, you don't really have to sell me on the merits of Marvel Comics. I, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I've got that covered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, it, I mean, let's get into the, the job a little bit. Like, what what does an editor do at a company like Marvel? Like, what do you do on a day-to-day? 
Um, well, you know, a day-to-day is always uh, hard to speak to per se in that every day is different. But in principle, uh, the way I describe this to, to people who are laymen like yourselves is, uh, you know, being the editor on a comic is like being the, the manager of a, of a sports club. Like, I don't go out on the field and play the game but I get to choose who does and I get to choose what positions they play and I can call for a specific play. I can change the team uniforms. If I want, I can, I can call for a, a pinch hitter or make a substitution. I can rotate somebody out when they're, they're not throwing so well anymore and, and put somebody else in. And I'm responsible for getting the club to the stadium on time and ready to play at the level that spectators are, are there to see every time. And ultimately, everything that happens, good or bad, mostly bad, is my responsibility. Wow. So when you see fan backlash, and I, this is something I really want to ask, because what I always see on, especially online and stuff like that is, oh, if only the editor didn't get in the way or something along those lines. How much of that is BS and, or how much of it is just like the buck stops with me? I'm Tom and I'm going to take responsibility for this. Um, uh, again, a, a little of each side. Like there are basically two complaints that fans always voice about editors and they're in complete opposition to one another. <laughs> one is why did the editor screw all this shit up? And the, and the other is why didn't the editor stop all this stuff from happening? So at the same time, fans want the editor to do a lot to make sure the comic is exactly the way they want it, but not to do anything that would interfere with the comic being the way that they want it. Um, and that's some of that is just not knowing and understanding the realities of the of the gig, and and some of that is just you know ultimately you know fans readers all they want is a comic that they like. They don't care about any of the other stuff. Um, so, you know, are, are there editors that foul things up? Sure there are. You bet, you know, all the time. Uh, does that mean that every idea or everything that a particular creator wants to do is the right or best thing? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, the difference that I tell the younger editors, I, I do a class every year at Marvel now where I impart a whole bunch of concentrated uh, ethos to the younger editors that we're bringing up so that, you know, we have some sort of institutional memory at the place. Uh, and what I tell people essentially is the writer's first loyalty is to the story, whatever story they're trying to do. The editor's first loyalty is to the book. Mm. And, and, you know, the sort of obvious example to this is, uh, you know, not every year, but every two, maybe three years, like clockwork, Somebody, some well, well-meaning and very energetic and very emotionally invested writer pitches the story in which Spider-Man, he's got his back to the wall, everything, the, the, the chips are on the line, and he's got no other choice, and he kills a dude. And every writer, you know, one, one every couple of years shows up wanting to pitch that story, wanting to do that, and they've got every... Uh, explanation for why this is going to be the greatest story and everybody in the world is going to come out. It's going to win awards and so forth. And it never happens because those writers are not wrong. They've got a story they feel strongly about that they believe in uh, and that they feel. But from my point of view as an editor, 
that does lasting damage to the character and to the book. And so I'm not going to let you do that one without a really good reason. And so that's the that's the back and forth of it. Um, you know, what do I want in my comics? I want the best comics I can get. I want the best stories. I want the best art. I'm always, you know, looking and pushing for that. Every editor is. That said, every editor has a set of taste. And so exactly what I like is not exactly what Nick Lowe likes or Jordan White likes or, or whomever, you know, likes. Uh, and so there's going to be a range of stuff. Uh, and even then, within the editorial hierarchy, there are people that work for me. Will Moss is theoretically uh, under me, and Will's you know tastes and perspectives are not the same as my own. Um, so there are times when we might disagree on a particular point, one way or the other, uh, and that's all stuff that we you know talk through and negotiate out. Uh, and the same thing comes you know with with dealing with the individual creators. You know, I I don't put a writer on a book to write my stories. I want them to write their stories and the whole reason that they're there is to do their stories. No point if I'm just going to write the comic, but that having been said, there are certainly guidelines and guide rails. And if you want to, you know, color outside those lines, you'd better convince me that whatever we're, we're going to attempt to do is, uh, you know, is a net positive, a net gain rather than a net loss. Because at the end of the day, my first loyalty is to the book, and I'm well aware at all times that while you may be the person writing Spider-Man this month, somebody wrote it before you did, and somebody's also someday going to write it after you. And the same is true with me if I'm happy to be editing Spider-Man. Somebody did it before I did. Somebody's going to have the gig after I'm done. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, you know, the editor has to take the long view on these things. Um, it's it's it really is you know difficult. To, to, to break these characters that have been around for so many years. Um, you know, you can have up periods and down periods, but it's really, really tough to, to, to put a permanent dent in them. But every once in a while, it can be done. Um, and, and so, you know, you have a responsibility to, to watch out for that stuff and make sure these things are still in shape 10 years from now or 20 years from now so the next generation of readers can experience and enjoy them the way we all got to. And so, how much it, how much of the idea that fans have of like the rooms, like the Avengers room and the X room, and how much of that is real? And uh, would you say well, you're in the Avengers room if it is? I don't. Again, I don't know how much. Uh, you know, I don't know what the fans think necessarily, but yeah. there is certainly like I, I, you know, I'm I'm a special case because I am a mighty long tenured editor so i can put my hands in whatever i feel like it more mm. often than not yeah. um but theoretically in general i'm dealing with the avengers sort of area of of marvel uh and nick Lowe is dealing with more or less spider-man and and his cast and jordan white is dealing with more or less the x-men and then other editors in and around that are all, all doing stuff in that sometimes there's very tight uh, coordination, particularly over the last year or two, uh, since Jonathan Hickman started sort of uber masterminding the X Men, um, <laughs> yeah. you know they have they have regular you know Zoom calls where all the X Men editors call in and talk about whatever they're doing or whatever they're planning and bounce that stuff back and forth very uh, very concretely with one another, so that there's a there's a consistency across all those books because they're all taking place on the same weird island. 
and and uh, you know they need that sort of consistency you know in the case of the avengers books right now you know a couple of times a year we do a a a, a creative retreat a creative summit where most of our key creators get together it used to be in person but for the last year or two it's been you know in in uh, zoom calls and the like uh that we talk about what stuff is coming up and what we're doing and so forth but what that means in practical terms is uh you know jason aaron writing avengers isn't necessarily having a lot of regular conversations with chris cantwell who's writing iron man unless there's something that they happen to you know, need or, or, or want to bounce off of one another, or they happen to be friendly off to the side, you know, just as human beings who are going to interact and bounce things back and forth. Um, so, so, you know, is there a lot of interaction? Yes, but it's not absolute one way or the other. Okay. okay. Interesting. And, and I guess for like, I mean, since you, someone who's been in the, in, at Marvel for so long, the experience probably helps you. I mean, cause you're obviously you're editing within the, within the story. And then you said like when another writer takes over, but also the continuity of the characters as well. Right. I mean, you have to kind of know your stuff when it comes to certain characters or. Um, you, you, you have to know at least the, the, the broadest stuff. Uh, honestly, that's the thing that I would worry about the, the least hiring somebody in to edit a book. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not that, I'm more worried about them having, uh, storytelling chops, understanding how to put a story together, having good instincts as to who, who is talented and appropriate for a given assignment or not. And so forth. The history is something that can be learned. And the history is something that there's a bunch of different people that are around that can help fill in the gaps. Also on a practical level, you know, while every fan's experience is different, um, you know, every event that's happened to Spider-Man over the last 60 years has happened, but not all of it is, uh, you know, forward facing and important at any given point. Okay. Uh, you know, which is to mm-hmm. say that if you're going to do a story next month in Spider-Man that slightly contradicts something from a story in 1972, mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> the amount of okay. the audience that cares is so infinitesimal at that right. point yeah. that it's, you know, <laughs> even, even though more of that material is more readily available because right. the, a lot of it's been collected in trade paper bags and it's on, Marvel Unlimited and so forth, but you know the fact that whatever that in 1972, Jerry Conway said, "Oh, Peter Parker is allergic to garlic," and in the latest issue, you're going to have him eat a garlic pizza. I don't care about that. What I care about is that Spider-Man is Spider-Man. You know that he acts like Spider-Man, and that you're doing something. uh, You know that's that's a little more than just running the bases and telling me the same Spider-Man story that's been told every year for 60 years. You're bringing something additive to it and and coming at it from a, from a new direction and, and, and having something to say to push the character forward. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a balancing act. That's a, that's a rubber band because you want to, you want to pull these characters and push them as far as they can go, but there's also a core center that they can never get too far from. And so you're constantly kind of going like this back mm-hmm. and forth mm-hmm. uh, with everything that, 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 that you're doing. Um, but, uh, and, and nobody's looking to deliberately, uh, uh, you know, smack into or overturn continuity. In general, you know, every story follows all of the stories that came before him. But when you're talking about 60 or 80 years that were done by a variety of people with a variety of different needs and 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 zeitgeists and moments and so forth, not everything can line up perfectly. And it never did. 
mm-hmm. worked on the Marvel Universe handbook back in the 90s with Mark Grunewald. And yeah, people talk about that time and how rock solid the continuity was. And you have no idea how often Grunewald and I would you know, turn to one another looking at some entry on some character, shrug our shoulders and decide, okay, it's going to be this <laughs> because that was the best you could, the best you could do to reconcile or square whatever circle there had been. Because in one story, Peter Parker was allergic to garlic and in the other, he eats a garlic pizza. Yeah, like you just make a choice. Right. Um, so, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible with 60 years of stories for, you know, you could do it, and and there are some people that get really wound up in that. And what ends up happening is the you know the the continuity loses its proper place in the scheme of things. The continuity is there to support the stories. The stories are not there to support the continuity. And you know, there's a phenomenon. And Marvel did a lot of these in the 80s and 90s. Uh, what we call you know comics about comics. Or stories about stories that are are really all they're not really stories they're 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 kind of like anal retentive cleanup of there were a bunch of stories that said things and we're going to reconcile all that and make all the rows nice and neat this week yeah um and there's like some fanish fun to be had with that um but that can't be the be all and end all of your of your story that can't be what your what your goal is in and of itself, there'd better be a story in there that means something to an audience today, and that matters to somebody who's dropping their three ninety nine on this month's issue of whatever comic you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't just be, "Hey, remember all those comics that we bought years ago? I've now arranged them in my long box in this precise order so that we can all enjoy them that way." Isn't that great? That's <laughs> what the internet is for. <laughs> the stories Amazing. are there for the stories, and the continuity is there. To, to help enrich the stories. If you can do a story that draws on something out of continuity, uh, you know, it's one of the things that Al Ewing does well in places like Immortal Hulk where uh-uh. he refers to or brings back or references yep. different stories in the past. But in doing so, they all feed into, here's the thing that he is building in this book. Then that's great, and that's what you want out of the experience. And as a reader, you think that's cool. Ah, look, it's that guy from that issue <laughs> yeah, that right. I read, you know, in 1995, and, uh-huh. and that that's super cool. I feel I feel fulfilled. The money I spent in 1995 <laughs> has reaped its benefits to me today, or whatever. Yeah. But it's not it's not the whole enchilada, right? Um, and on that, awesome. do you guys get like a, a giggle when you see like, if, for instance, Al Ewing's Hulk? When people are like, well, the real Devil Hulk was actually in this issue of Hulk over here, and it goes skyrockets <laughs> in price, and everybody's freaking out. Like, are you in the room at times with Al being like, can you believe what we just did, guys? <laughs> um, again, that 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 sort of thing is always is always kind of fun when it happens. Yeah, you know, no. when the when that back issue price skyrockets, it doesn't really affect us one way or the other yeah. because it's not like we see any of that money, and it's also not like. Years ago, when I did that Devil Hulk issue, I stashed 500 copies in my garage <laughs> right. that I'm now going to sell on eBay or yeah. anything. Yeah. But it's, I mean, like, that's cool. That just shows, hey, somebody's reading and paying attention, and now they're they're interested in this history and this this background, and, like, they're seeking out this obscure issue of, of Hulk, issue 13, uh-huh. that, that uh, you know, we published years ago. Uh, and 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 like they're into it, and the, both the thrill of the hunt and the feeling like you know some people hit the hit the metaphoric jackpot. I bought that issue of Hulk back in 1998, and now it's worth you know 50 bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like getting a lottery ticket. All of that is part and parcel of 
of, uh, you know, being a comic book reader and collector. And, you know, for anybody that enjoys it and, and gets something out of that, that's terrific. It's not really where my focus is, but, no. you know, for everybody that, that, that likes it, you know, more power to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's always a nice feeling like when I bought the, uh, 10 years ago when I bought the first appearance of King Shark in that Superboy issue. And then to find out like last week it jumped in price. I'm like, aha, see you all laughed at me. You know, you thought King yep. Shark was silly, but here we are. Um, yeah. I mean, again, when I was younger, I, 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 you know, paid attention to that sort of stuff and I, right. I would have that same relation. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that I wasn't selling my comics. Oh, I never saw them. <laughs> no. I never saw them. You know, and so so yeah. the idea, the fact that this one is suddenly worth $50, like, that's that's fun on an abstract level, but it's not like I have $50 in my wallet now, right. and it's not like I'm going to sell the comic to yeah. get the $50. It's yeah. literally worth exactly the same thing it was <laughs> worth the day before right. as a comic in a box in my in my my house. It's, yeah, um, yeah, true. But, but again, if it makes you feel good, you know, if you if you if you love the fact that you've got this thing now and it's more desired and you were there, like, yeah, <laughs> all all that's all that's great. Yep. Um, but it's you know there is definitely that sort of little mental disconnect of I'm not really selling my comics. So no, never. for, for yep. people who are dealing in these things, it's excellent. And, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe it's a, it's a way for them to put some, put some dollars in their cash register that they can then spend on next month's Marvel comics, which is great. Yep. But, uh, you know, again, it doesn't really, it doesn't really impact on us making the books directly. Uh, um, so let's talk about something that's a little more obscure, especially for like Avengers and something kind of recent, like Avengers Mech Strike. Because um, I know when Chris and I had heard about it, we're like, oh my God, like and me not being a huge Marvel fan, like I said, but that was a book that I read because Avengers and Mech Suits was something that I, I wanted to read, but <laughs> like, I'm very, I have very simple taste and like giant robots, giant monsters. That's pretty much it. But um what so editing a book like that where there really isn't that much you can't do right i mean it's it's there to be pure fun and enjoyment for a reader of like the avengers are wearing mech suits like what do you what can you really constrain on the writer there i mean is well i i I mean you know for, for for all that that's a simple concept and kind of a goofy concept when you take it on a certain level you know, my approach doing that book, and the same thing is true, you know, as I reached out and got Jed to do it and Carlos to, to do it, was we need to treat this <coughs> like it's a real, in air quotes, a real, um, you know, Marvel comic. It's a real issue of Avengers. So, yep. um, you know, there's there's kind of two ways you can do this sort of thing. You can you can kind of go, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a goofy thing that connects to this larger... Uh, you know, merchandising initiative where there'll be toys and things, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, or you can go. This is like this is just another issue of Avengers this month. This is this has got the same sort of gravitas and should have the same sort of of, of drama and impact to it that a Marvel comic does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I I'm much more uh, to prefer the the second. So you know, for for us, you know, we took it all just as seriously as we took that that month's issues, those months' issues of Avengers, mm-hmm. um, and didn't play any 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 less hard on making those five issues as exciting and dramatic and 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 compelling uh, as, as we could. Uh, and it seemed like, by and large, uh, people liked it, and people liked it maybe a little bit more than they thought they were going to when they heard the original idea. 
Uh, yep. And that, you know, that that's part of the, the goal, too, is always try to exceed expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day before it came out, you know, every time uh, people would hear about Young Avengers, they would all groan and go, oh, Young Avengers, that's the, that's the worst idea ever. Young Avengers, what the heck is that? <laughs> um, and so, you know, when the book came out and people really loved it, that's a nice turnaround. And now, you know, people are constantly going, we want more. Where's more Young Avengers? We need more Young Avengers. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you're doing every time you're trying to do something like an Avengers mech strike is do something that's more than people think it is. And that makes them, uh, you know, want more of it more than they think that they're going to. And I, yeah, like you said, it, it, it definitely I I guess going into it, I wasn't expecting it to take itself so seriously as it did. But it also like mm-hmm. it elevated the story, like you said, and then like even getting, um, you know, time travel involved and stuff like that was had a little more weight to it. And you think that's kind of what, you know, elevated the story even more is like adding all these stakes and like uh, a higher level of like, you know, you bring in a, a big bad villain, um, not to spoil anything too much, but yeah. Um, but you think like, okay, having a real villain that's pretty relevant right now and like messing with time travel and like, okay, oh yeah, someone, you know, an Avenger could die like that, that kind of elevates it and makes it, you know, more enjoyable for the reader. Yeah, well, again, it just it just needs to have the same kind of drama and stakes that a Marvel comic typically has. It shouldn't feel like uh, this is a term that doesn't really apply anymore. But it doesn't. It shouldn't feel like Saturday morning Avengers. Okay. Yep. You, you know what I mean? It, it, it mm-hmm. shouldn't feel like it's it's the kid Avengers. No, no, it's the Avengers. They're having an adventure. In this adventure, they put on robot suits. Could you see a situation where they would put on robot suits in the Marvel universe? Yes. Then this is one of those, and it's all. All, it's all fine like you just you go with it um and 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 you don't worry about uh you know the 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 derivation of it or 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 the fact that there's some silliness to it all superhero stories on some level are pretty silly uh, and it's only it's only our own decisions about what we choose to care about that makes some of this stuff dumber than other stuff in the public consciousness so you decide what what's what's uh, what you're going to take seriously and not and you know you go out and you you, you play it as, as straight as you can mm-hmm. yeah i guess I, it is uh-huh. all pretty silly at the end of the day right <laughs> yeah i remember right. having a having a, a an argument this is now years ago this is when we were, were working up Avengers disassembled and part of Avengers disassembled was that Hawkeye was going to get killed and there was some argument back and forth over whether or not this was going to happen and uh, you know one of the arguments that was put to me was well Hawkeye is dumb because Hawkeye he's it's like a guy with a bow and arrow and he's fighting guys with machine guns and that doesn't make any sense that's stupid and I had to say back at the time like explain to me how that's dumb but a blind guy with a stick fighting guys with machine guns is cool. Because <laughs> I can't tell the difference there. It's only dumb if you say it's dumb. Right, if you say it out loud. It's, yeah, yeah. The you joke know? I always make, Daredevil being a character I adore, but the joke I always make is like, yeah, Daredevil, it's the blind guy with the superpower of sight. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not dumb until you you point out the absurdity out loud is when it becomes <laughs> or or until you decide that it's, it's dumb. Yeah, you, know, you decide right. that it doesn't work. None of this stuff is real. Not, nobody sticks to walls. Nobody flies through the air. Nobody can create a compressed 
uh, liquid that you mount on your wrist that will fire a line 60 feet away that will stick to a building that you can swing on and that evaporates in an hour. Yeah. It's all <laughs> fantasy nonsense, but there's, you know, there's a, there's a buy-in. There's a, there's a, there's a, a common uh, belief, you know, there, that, that, you know, coming into this stuff, you know, the buy-in to the, to the story is, you're going to believe that a blind guy can go out with a stick and fight some guys and, and, and win more often than not because he's just that good and he's got heightened senses and a radar sense and all this jazz. And you're going to believe that a guy with arrows can, can you know, take on a bunch of guys with machine guns and win. Um, it's, it's, part of the, it's part of the fantasy. It's part of the buy-in. Um, you know, again, in my, in my, in my uh, uh, cynical fan days, I once wrote a thing that was called the the, the most realistic Batman story ever, uh, and it was about three pages long. And it started; it was very much set up, almost like the opening of the old '67 Spider-Man cartoon. So it's Batman; he's on top of a building, and down below there's like a jewelry store or something being robbed. So he pulls out his bat uh, batarang with the bat rope and throws it, you know, to the to the. Uh, flagpole or, or, you know, a gargoyle or whatever the hell across the way. And then he reels it back up because he's missed and he throws it again and he reels it back up. And eventually he gets it to, to stick and he swings down. He's going to burst in and take them by surprise. He dislocates both of his shoulders. He smashes through the plate glass window, giving himself horrible cuts all over. And the guys inside surprised by the crash wheel on him and pelt him with bullets, uh, you know, turning him into a, a, a blood-ridden corpse. Uh, and, and you know, that's that's more or less, even that's a heightened version of what would happen in right, real life. Right, um, But but we don't want that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not the, that's the, you know, so for, for all that we want these stories to be real, we want them to have verisimilitude. We want them to feel realistic. We want them to feel genuine. But we don't really want the reality. The reality stinks. <laughs> you know, um, um, you know, James Bond doesn't win in the reality. James Bond isn't a good guy in the reality. But you know, if I'm going to a to a 007 movie, I want to see him do everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I want to see him surf on top of of, of airplanes yep. and and uh, you know, parasail down with the Union Jack into a ski lift. Yep. Uh, and 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 make time with the with the snow bunny. Yeah. Uh, and none of that's none of that's going to happen in real no, life. No. That's not. why you go to see the movie. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So yeah. uh, on what you just said, and not to uh, call out the distinguished competition, but uh, how do you ever get that pitch where it's like I'm going to do so and so, but in the real world, because uh, I've seen that pitch. It's now in previews currently. At somewhere else, I won't say it. But I, I mean, do you get that? And do you have that same thought in your head? Like, no, that's dumb. <laughs> um, I think it, again, it all depends on how it's how it's presented. Certainly, people have been deconstructing, you know, yeah. superhero comics for at least thirty years now, and yeah. some of them do it very well and very intelligently. Partly because they know which bits to take apart, and they know which bits not to take apart. Um, and, and even that's an ever-changing thing. Somebody can always walk in tomorrow with a great idea that changes the board and, you know, suddenly you suddenly go, oh, that thing we would never do, we'll, we'll do that this time. You know, we'll whatever, we'll unmask Peter Parker as Spider-Man as mm -hmm. part of the story because 
the larger story that we're telling makes sense and there's value in doing that now. Um, so yeah, I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't feel like people shouldn't try to make the characters seem realistic. I just think that there's a point beyond which, um, you know, realistic isn't, isn't any fun at all. (laughs) And, and, and so they're not really making them realistic. They're making them more, more plausible or less, you know, silly to the readers. One of the the common things that comic book readers, particularly young ones, uh, yeah. And by young, I, I really mean, uh, you know, like early teens, 10 and 10 to 16 years old, you know, that, that sort of range, although it goes older and so forth. There is a certain, uh, uh, self-loathing and a certain embarrassment that goes with liking this stuff mm-hmm. where you feel like I can't tell anybody I like this because they'll all make fun of me and think I'm a kid and, 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 a, and a, and a jerk and so forth. And so anything that any material that plays to them and says, no, 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 this is going to be more serious and more real. And you know, like you're, you're not wrong for liking this. Uh, you know, there's a real built-in appeal to that mm-hmm. for that part of the audience, uh, and that's not wrong. Like that's a that's a that's a a completely valid expression of that. Right. Um. But it's not the be-all end-all. And at the same time, there's also a place for ridiculous flights of fancy, where you know, Batman fights an alien from outer space. Uh, you know, along with his pal, Space Ghost. You know, like <laughs> right. you can you can do all of that, and and you know, none of it is individually right or wrong there's true to the character and true to the history and the and and the mythos uh and and there's you know, there's not true there's executed well and there's executed poorly mm-hmm. um you know but but these characters you know particularly the ones that have lasted the, the test of time are very flexible and and uh, you know infinitely adaptable to all sorts of 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 uh, stories and all sorts of storytelling, uh, and they don't have to be one thing. You know, again, uh, I, I'm, I'm backseat quarterbacking a little bit here, but I feel like that's at least up until recently, that's been a big problem with the DC films. Is that the people making them seem to be so uh, uh, concerned that anybody would would laugh at them for telling stories about strong guys in tights that they feel a need to double down on being nihilistic and apocalyptic and murderous and every other thing, all things that I don't necessarily associate right. uh, in, in, by and large with DC as a, as a brand or as a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you can do some of that, but you know, Batman is more than that. And Batman has been more than that. And trying to cut all of that stuff off and go, no, 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 no. My Batman just uses guns and just kills people. But that's not, you know, you're not really getting to the to the essence of what has made that character work over the years. Right. Um, and and again, in any given story, maybe there's a a good point where Batman pulls out a gun and kills somebody. Much like Peter Parker, I don't tend to think I would find that story, but maybe it's there, and and you know, maybe it would be workable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not the sum total of this stuff. Um, but then again, like, you know, again, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, oh, well, clearly the mistake they're making there is blah, 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 blah. Right. They can come and say the same thing about all the books that I'm working on. <laughs> and that's, and that's, you know, that's, that's valid. I don't have to solve the problem of what's in detective comics next month. No, <laughs> I got to right. solve the problem of what's in Avengers next month. Yep. Um, and I guess I, I, I was thinking about this while you were talking um, earlier about the, you know, absurdness and, sometimes in comics or when you like, like you say it out loud, do you ever 
Chris and I talk about comic book science all the time where um, a writer will just like, and I think like the biggest uh, example for me was like the Dark Knight's Metal Run. You know, that's DC, but like mm-hmm. there's a lot of comic book science, you know, with the multiverse and the dark multiverse. And does a writer ever just, do you, do you ever see a writer get a little too carried away with comic book science where you're like, well, you got to either shape this a little more less complicated or, you know, is it like over, over complicated? complication well, sure. yeah. i mean the, at, at the at, at the point where i start falling asleep is the point where <laughs> you've got too much of that yeah um and and like all of that stuff is great so long as you've got a compelling story with compelling characters that i care about and want to see you know want to want to go through their struggles with them and want to see them you know reach some sort of resolution um you know again one of the things i tell our editors all the time is that uh you know our audience uh, you know, is emotionally invested in these characters. They've read them for years. They think of them as their friends. They are more real to them than the people who are making the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and consequently, what that means is they will they will allow for the most egregious lapses in logic and common sense if they get the emotional payoff that they want. And that they're looking for what they care about ultimately is what they feel when they're reading these books, whether that's excited or choked up or or enthused or you know whatever that 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 emotional state change is. If they get that, they don't care how you get there. Um, whereas making sure that every every you know nook and cranny of your impossible time travel plot logic is rock solid is nice but if i don't care about who's traveling through time and why and what happens to them and what they learn or what they don't learn or what happens to them as a result of the choices they've made it's all a waste like nobody nobody cares i don't care how how uh, space travel works in star trek I care about what's going on wherever the enterprise has, has gotten to and what they're facing with and how it's all reflective of the human condition, despite the fact that everybody has bumps on their heads. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, oh, so, um, these are kind of interconnected, but like, I guess first, how, how does it, the decision come to make a book an event book as opposed to like, let's take heroes were born. It's very recent. Hopefully everybody out there's read it. Cause it was awesome. But, uh, instead of making that just another seven issues of Avengers, why make that its own thing as opposed? Well, every, again, every one of those is slightly different as well. Yeah. Um, theoretically every year, we're looking to do you know at least one event and sometimes more like two or three. Some of them are like more family events that like are here's a Spider-Man thing or here's an X-Men thing, whatever. Here's a carnage thing. Um, you know, but, but you know, so we're always on the lookout for that. And we're kind of often planning two or three years ahead mm-hmm. that, that we had a broad sense, you know, like I kind of know what the Marvel universe is going to look like two years from now not every single thing in every single book but broadly i kind of have an understanding and you know the further out you go the sketchier it gets but you know we start to build and so there are often things that are bubbling up in the books that naturally we look at and go oh this could be a bigger thing than what it was that heroes reborn event that was originally just going to be avengers uh, you know, when Jason pitched it, and in fact, even when he wrote the first issue, that was just Avengers 45, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And the idea was, okay, we'll we'll do 
you know, the rest of the books there is like one shots. There won't be an Avengers next month. There'll be a Hyperion one shot and a Nighthawk one shot and a whatever. And then eventually we'll come back with Avengers 56 and finish up the story. And as we were getting closer to that, and as, you know, we were going to our, our two or three times a year summits and Jason was talking about what he was doing and this new world he was building and so forth, people were excited by it and people saw the opportunities in it because, uh, you know, while we are going to explore and, 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 and touch on a wide range of stuff in all the issues that Jason did, there were still plenty of things that were like, that's a, there's a reference in that one panel to something that sounds cool, or there's a, yeah. there's a flashback to a thing there. This seems like it could be bigger than it is. And so at a certain point we said, Hey, what if instead of doing this as two inches of Avengers, we'll, we blow it out as heroes are born, make a bigger deal out of it. That'll give us some bandwidth on the side to do a number of one shots that can explore and have fun with some of this stuff. That's, that's sitting there uh, ready to go. Uh, and that that seems like it'll have value. Plus, this is this will come as a shock to you. We like to sell comics because when we sell comics, we make money, and when we have the money, that lets us make more comics. It's kind of a cycle thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and sense. so, you know, like any, business, right? Like, yes, ex ex exactly, exactly. So, I mean, at any given point, you know, obviously, we're looking for. What will be exciting to people? What will bring them into the, the, the stores on a regular basis? So Heroes Are Born, we've got these things. They're going to come out weekly. It's a weekly thing. Uh, and so if you're reading it week to week as opposed to as a collection, that's a good reason to go to your local comic shop every week. Hey, the wow. next issue of Heroes Are Born is going to be out. And, you know, while I'm there, I'll pick up Iron Man 2. And maybe I'll pick up The Flash as well, which isn't bad. It still puts dollars into that retailer's uh, hands. See you next week. I got to come back for issue three mm -hmm. because I'm invested in this in this ride. So it's it's a combination of all of these things. Mm -hmm. um, every once in a while, there's just, you know, and I had this conversation literally last week. That, you know, we were looking ahead to a given period. And we don't have anything there. And so the conversation was, hey, is there anything going on in the world of Avengers that could be a thing there? And I've since gone back and talked to a couple of people, uh, you know, creatively about things that we have percolating that maybe could, could come up. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're starting to build a thing. Uh, and what that, I can't say anything about it. This is all brand new and you won't see it for at least a year, if not longer. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, that thing is right now, it's just a formless blob of, of half baked ideas that different people that I've spoken to have had. But as we continue to talk and refine them, that could be a thing. That's a, that's a whole, uh, you know, big event. Or as we're playing with this, we could stumble on something that could be bigger. Uh, and the opposite happens too. You know, there was a thing we were going to do as a bigger event. That also hasn't happened yet, so I can't get into it. Uh, and that we decided at a certain point would be better served keeping it within the, the, the title that it was growing out of rather than making it a, a thing outside of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're always reacting to what the, what the marketplace and what the audience seems to be feeling at a given point. Uh, you know, when they think there's too much or when there's not enough, um, you know, you always want to do things that are exciting and that get, get, get comic book readers uh, energized and, going to the stores and, and picking up the books every week. Or, you know, if they're reading them as, as collections, you know, scarfing up the collections as they drop. Or if they're reading them on Marvel Unlimited, really excited three months after the guys that were picking <laughs> them up every week. Yep. Uh, you know, or, or whatever. Like, you always want there to be something. 
new that's going on that's that's exciting in our world uh, and that's driving uh, interest in the stories that we're making. And I guess similar to that, um, but hopefully a little bit of a different answer. How is there ever been a time or is in the future, could there be a time where like you yourself or like the world is ready to bring back this character? Like the world is ready. We need a spot series, everybody. Let's get the spot back in the spotlight and do it. And you push it and get it through. Um, yeah. If, I mean, if so, I want a spot series. That's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of every week and every month. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not, not, not to put, not to put a, too fine a point on it, but, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm not the be all and end all, but you know, on most weeks, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pitch projects and they'll be come projects. Uh, you know, whether they're ideas that I have or whether they're ideas that creators have, uh, you know, a creator came to me last week with a, with an idea for a thing that we had talked about a little bit. That's going to be a project now. So, uh, you know, and, and sometimes it's just me inventing stuff or hearing about a need. The whole reason that there's was a squirrel girl book was me coming out of some meeting we had and going to our, our head of sales, David Gabriel, and going, David, I think I want to do a Squirrel Girl book. And David went, okay. And so we made it. I didn't end up editing that book. Will Moss did, and he did a much better job than I would have. So I was happy that he <laughs> to let him at it. But that was just me going, oh, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a moment. There's a zeitgeist. There's a particular need for something and you know these other guys are trying to fill it by doing x y and z but i think the right thing to to do here would be to make a squirrel girl comic you're right and so we did um you know that, that happens all the time okay. yeah. so why not the spot like <laughs> <laughs> well that's awesome my, my simplest get out of get out of jail free answer there is you know the spot's kind of a Spider-Man character, so that's more in Nick Lowe's wheelhouse to uh, figure out than mine. Yeah, yeah. He's dealing right. with all things you Spider-Man. Got the wrong editor here. Uh, yeah, you send him my way then. We gotta talk. <laughs> I got his first um, appearance up here for a reason. Um, I want to get back into the life story because uh-huh. that, that was something I really enjoyed as not being a huge Marvel fan, mm-hmm. um, especially the Fantastic Four life story. But that's like. I mean, we talked about it earlier that you want to, you know, you could you could edit a book and not worry about continuity from, you know, a, a issue that happened in the seventies. But I mean, we're telling every decade of story for these characters, and what who chooses what to highlight and what not to talk about, or what you know what to talk about with specific characters and. Well, see that that uh, that project and the project that came before it, Spider Man Life Story. That's a pretty good example because that's that was an idea that had been pitched to me in one way, shape, or form a number of times over the years by a number of people. Okay. And at different points, we just either couldn't crack it well enough story-wise or couldn't crack it commercially or couldn't figure it out. The earliest one, I remember talking with, I think Roger Stern and I talked about doing this, a similar sort of thing around 1999 that would have been called Marvel Age. Um, and, and, you know, the basic idea of all of those life story projects is the characters exist in real time. Clearly, the Marvel heroes do not age the way normal human beings do because they've got 60 years behind them and none of them are 60 years old. But what if they did? Uh, and that's the, that's the premise. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it wasn't really until 
you know, Chip started to pitch that. Chip Zdarsky, who did Spider-Man Life Story. And even there, he was pitching it the same sort of way. It's the Marvel Universe, but it moves in real time and so forth. And we couldn't crack it. Uh, and it wasn't really until uh, Darren Shan, who's one of our editors, said, well, you should do that, but you should, you know, like, just do it with Spider-Man or something. And, like, the light bulb went on over my head, and I went, that's it. That's mm -hmm. the way to do it. you got to limit it to just one thing. And then you're not, even as it was, the Spider-Man life story and the Fantastic Four life story, those are bigger than normal books. They're, they're, they're you know, 30 pages rather than 20 every issue because there's just so much stuff to fit in. So they're hard to do. But you could limit it that way, and that would make it manageable. And we did Spider-Man Life Story, and Chip and Bags, uh, Mark Bagley, you know, did that, and it did very, very well. And so the idea of coming back and doing another one, it came up, and you know, the trick to me was then, okay, how do I do this again and not make it the same story? Because uh -huh. the '60s are still the '60s, and the '70s are still the '70s, and you know, my answer to that, you know, partly was, well, there's a Fantastic Four anniversary you know, this year. Yep. Uh, and, and the other was Spider-Man's a single character. The Fantastic Four are a team, but they're a family unit. And so that moving forward in time, you can see playing out differently than the events of a mm -hmm. Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, so in terms of what's actually touched on or how it's arranged and so forth, that's all up to the individual writers. So if you're liking Fantastic Four life story, that's all Mark Russell okay. and Sean Isaacs, who's, who's drawing it. But Mark, you know, kind of put together the the, the thing. Uh, it was it was Will Moss's idea to, to reach out to him as as somebody when I was looking for a, a writer on mm -hmm. the FF Life Story because Chip didn't want to do it again, having done it once with Spider Man and feeling like he couldn't do enough to to make it a different story in his own mind. Uh, and you know, Mark Russell had done a, a bunch of really cool things uh, at a bunch of places. And, and I thought, okay, that, that, that could be a guy that would have an interesting take on the, the FF. And so he's laid out the, the story and, and, and put it, uh, you know, uh, the, that evolution of time and, and, you know, pared things down or pared things away. And, and the history there doesn't really match the publishing history. And not to the, not to the same extent, certainly, that, that Chip's, Chip, Chip's uh, Spider-Man life story matched it a lot more one-to-one. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Fantastic Four life story, like you don't even get Doctor Doom until issue two, which is in the seventies, right? And, mm -hmm. and everybody's waiting for Galactus to show up, mm -hmm. um, you know, which hasn't happened yet by by you know the current issue that's out. Um, so we're not just like taking the sixty years of comics and going that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. You're taking all of the events and taking the idea of. These characters are growing through history. Okay, so if Johnny Storm is 16 in 1961 when he gets his powers, then he's 26 in 1971, and he's 36 mm -hmm. in 1981, and he's 46 in 1991. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how does that, you know, people change over time. How do those relationships change? How does that situation change? Plus, it's a bottle universe, you know, which basically means – I can do anything I want to any of the characters. And right. by I, I really mean, you know, Mark and Sean, yep. uh, uh, you know, so I don't have to worry about there being another book the next month. So, you know, you have ultimate freedom to, to explore, uh, you know, all aspects of these characters. You know, one of the things years ago that Alan Moore uh, uh, had theorized in talking about uh, comics and, and superheroes uh, and you know Alan Moore, it, it was a very smart, very sharp guy. Uh, 
you know, he said that the, the difference between superheroes and, you know, what we think of as classic mythology is classic mythology, mythological stories. We all know the endings. You know, if you're reading about the Norse gods, you know that Ragnarok comes and they're finished. We know how Robin Hood dies. We know what happens at the end of Camelot. You know, we, we know that Arthur is laid to rest and yada, yada. Superhero stories are always the middle. Superhero stories are always, it's Spider-Man and next month he's going to fight somebody again and on and on and on. You go on this treadmill. There's never a conclusion. So anytime you can do a project like the life stories where you can give the characters a conclusion, you at least have the potential of, you know, tapping into that idea of them as mythology. And I awesome. think I think the awesome part about Mark Russell doing that book is we've had him on the show too, and he hasn't done a whole lot for Marvel, but um, he he knows how to handle like characters in a political environment as well, and the whole like you know the Cold War issue that um, yeah. just came out and stuff like that. He's he's really good at um, you know having Mister Fantastic as like a kind of like what would his choices be in an era like that? And I thought that was really cool. And I, I knew oh, something like that was coming, you know, because of just how he writes and how good he is. Like Chris and I talk about it all the time, but I think it really fits well with, with those characters. Um, well, uh, well, thank you. Like, mm -hmm. like I say, the, the, the trick, and I, 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 I see and understand this a little more now having done two of them. Uh, the, 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 the trick with these really is that the first issues are always the least interesting because they mm -hmm. have to be right. Because right. if you're in, you know, if you're in the sixties with Spider-Man of the fantastic four, well, that's when they were created and that's where most of this stuff happened the first time. So they're not terribly different mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their trajectory. It's very hard to, to show where that journey is going to take you in that initial installment. Um, and which is why on both of those books, when the first issue came out, people kind of went, well, that's it. That's, I don't know what this, but once you started to get to issues two and three, where the characters were getting older and events could diverge a little more or get a little more cataclysmic, uh, you know, people really see it and go, oh, I, I get it now. Um, you know, and that's kind of why I feel like the Spider-Man life story uh, works really well, you know, now that it's done as a collection, like you could just give that book yeah. to anybody who knows Spider-Man. And you start from the from the from the front, and you go to the back, and you don't have to read anything else. And there's a full story of Spider-Man's life, mm -hmm. uh, and hopefully the Fantastic Four will be the same kind of way. Yeah. That said, uh, you know, for all that, that's a full story of Spider-Man's life. We have a Spider-Man Life Story Annual dropping in like a week nice. or two that Chip and Chip and, and Mark did because because uh, when I talked to Chip about doing Fantastic Four, he didn't have uh, he, he didn't feel he could do that, but he had a thing that he wanted to do in in spider-man but it got squeezed out for space and so we decided we would do an annual uh and 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 you know it, it was a it was a series that was popular people liked it so them coming back and doing one more one more special seemed like something that that uh, the audience would respond to do you guys see that as a brand like could we expect possibly like captain america life story and so on and so forth i i i think so up to a point like one of the things that that marvel in particular <laughs> has been very bad at over the years is any, you know, it's, it's, it's like the gold rush. Anytime anybody finds anything that works, we do a lot of it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. like if mm -hmm. suddenly, if suddenly like we do one project of whatever the end and it does well, suddenly there's 20 of them yeah. uh, and, and we beat the heck out of it. Uh, and, and so, you know, do I want to do or see more life story projects done? Yes. But only if, 
they have something additive to offer to the Marvel Universe and are not just kind of like, well, we think we can sell it and it's just kind of the same thing except put a Hulk mask on Peter Parker and it's the same <laughs> Yeah, it's the same story. Mm -hmm. So, but yes, you know the, the 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 whole idea of coming up with any of this stuff really is to create things that that have lasting equity and that can mm -hmm. be things that 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 go on. You know, hopefully one day maybe somewhere in in film or or streaming or television or whatever thought broadcasts, you know, studios one day can do a Spider-Man Life Story project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You know, cool. and, and, and find their version of, of whatever that is. Uh, and so that's something that, you know, you made up out of nowhere. That could be a thing that, that, that a lot of people do. Certainly, uh, you know, Roy Thomas came up with what if in the seventies and now there's a show, um, you know, and, uh, that's, that's neat. Yeah. yeah that's uh, awesome. It's really cool. And so, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. So that, that brings up a, just, I know we've taken a lot of your time here, but, uh, one more question for me, and that's um, when you brought up the what if thing, and I noticed Marvel does this, DC does this. Um, if there's a show or a movie coming out, they really want to show off a character like, you know, Black Widow gets a new number one or something like that. Is Kate it really Bishop has a book coming out along with Hawkeye? Yeah, series. yeah. Kate, <laughs> we, like before we did this interview, we were talking about like Hawkeye and like a really excited. I mean, we're excited for a Kate Bishop book, but not necessarily a Hawkeye book. Um, mm -hmm. But how, you know, how, how much of a push is that? And are you guys, do you just pick a writer? You say, Hey, we got to do this character. Like someone, someone needs to grab this character. Or is there someone that comes to you and is like a writer really wants to do it. And it seems like a good time to do that. Obviously well, you're in the it, business to make money, but. Right. But well, you know, it, there, there's two things with that. You know, the first thing is that, you know, in all of our interactions with Marvel Studios, you know, and, and the guys over there who, who, you know, do the films and do the television, you know, our our mandate and our understanding, you know, we've we've talked with Kevin about this. We do we do regular meetings with them every X number of months too, uh, that are now Zoom meetings. So I haven't had a fly to the West Coast in a while. Um you know, where, where we kind of lay out, here's all the stuff we have going on and they kind of lay out, here's all the stuff they have going on. Uh, and, and, you know, they're very uh, uh, consistent in their messaging, which is they don't want us to just be doing what they're doing. They want us to do the stuff that they can do three years from now. Right. You know? Right. No. So on the one hand, um, you know, it doesn't help them necessarily if they have an Eternals movie coming out for us to do an Eternals book. That's exactly like it. Um, what could help them is for us to do an Eternals book that they could look at and go, hey, there's an idea in it right there that could be Eternals 2 or Eternals 3. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, our, our Marvel as Comics as a publishing entity is always kind of meant to be the tip of the spear. We're supposed to be the furthest out, out there right. and generating just tons of stuff um, that they can can then, like, you know, kind of comb through and find the bits that appeal to them and work for their uh, their model and and their medium, and and you know build those versions of the flip side of that though is um, you know nobody involved is stupid, and you know like you just said you know a Hawkeye show is coming and you're kind of intrigued and you're kind of interested in it. The best time on earth to launch a Hawkeye book is probably right now. Yeah, exactly. So we look at those opportunities and go, you know, this is probably a good time to do an Eternals book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's do that. Yeah. This is probably a good time to do a Black Widow book. 
Um, and so, yeah, we certainly sit down and go, okay, we should probably try and get a get a Hawkeye project mounted around this this point. But the intention isn't just to go, oh, we're going to duplicate whatever the show is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want to do something that's additive and something that's forward looking. That uh, again, if they do a second season or a third season of that show, maybe there's something in what gets done now that that you know becomes the thing that they use there. Or if they take Kate Bishop into other studios projects or whatever um so it's it's not really one or the other like it's a really symbiotic sort of relationship but nobody's ever saying you know you gotta do it's just it's 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 such low-hanging fruit you'd be stupid not to do it right right um you know in the same sort of way that you know dc has a suicide squad movie out dc has big ads in their book here's all the suicide squad you know, one shots and projects we have, and here's the collections and so forth. Why? Because at this moment, everybody is going to be talking and thinking about suicide squad. Exactly. So of course you do that. Right. It just makes sense. Um, you know, and so so yeah, it is a it is a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, yeah. Okay. So, as Mike said, you've been super generous of your time, but I do want to give one moment to uh, something non-Marvel that you're doing. Um, Obviously, we could spend our three hours probably about Marvel stuff. (laughs) But you have your website, TomBrevoort.com, where you're doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I mean, tell everybody out there what that's all about, what you're doing over there. Um, well, that's just, you know, that, that, that's just me having fun mostly. Uh, you know, I I do a bunch of different, different pieces over there. I write on it virtually every week, usually on the weekends, I'll I'll do a number of stories, you know, sort of the spine of it is the, is the history of comics, which is my history of comics. Uh, you know, where, where I started with the first comics that I bought and I've gone sort of chronologically, uh, every week and added other comics that, uh, that I bought when I bought them in the order I bought them and looking back at them and dissecting them. Uh, just earlier today, I wrote a piece on an, a, a random issue of brave and the bold with yeah. Batman and Aquaman. Yeah. I read that <laughs> uh, a, a comic. I haven't looked at since I bought it in 1978, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I also do things that are a little more historical based, uh, you know, looking at the back at the history and trying to dissect particularly the early Marvel books. Um, you know, so I've done pieces on, you know, sort of taking apart Fantastic Four number one and Amazing Fantasy fifteen, and 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 some of the history and behind the scenes stuff. Um, I also tend to excavate a lot of forgotten stuff. There are a lot of other publishers or smaller smaller outfits uh, from the sixties, seventies, and eighties who you know were sort of trying to to do do their best versions of Marvel or compete with Marvel or just do something interesting. And so I highlight a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, every awesome. once in a while there'll be whatever, there'll be television that I, that I, that I like and want to write about. So, you know, there'll be a bunch of articles on have gun will travel or doctor who or star blazers or, or, or whatever. Um, so it's just a central clearinghouse for all the stuff that, that I've got. Awesome. And what about uh TBTV? Are you still, uh, doing that or is that kind of reached its... I'm- I'm still I'm still playing with it, although I I sort of plateaued a little bit, and the reason for that that was I started it up as a as a YouTube channel, and the reason I did it, being perfectly frank, was I had done a piece at the TomBrevoort.com, a written piece, and in my travels, you know, six or nine months later, I found that somebody had pretty much taken that piece 
and turned it into a video. And, you know, that's that's fine. Like, I don't own, you know, <laughs> any of this stuff. Good right. on them. Uh, but they had way, way more uh, engagements than I did. <laughs> and so I kind of looked at that and went, well, if they're going to get, you know, whatever, you know, 30,000 hits or, or whatnot, I want I want people to read the actual piece I did and not somebody's interpretation of it. Right. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's a thing to be done here. Uh, and so I experimented for a, a couple of weeks doing videos at, at, at the, you know, at the TBTV address on YouTube. Um, you know, some of which were adaptations of, of things that were written pieces, some of which were new, some of which were me adapting the talk I give to the Marvel editors over a course of a bunch of weeks. Uh, and what I found there, at least during the month and a half or so that I did it, was it took a lot of time and I didn't actually get more hits than I did doing the website. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I haven't found yet found the, the, the secret to either making the algorithm break me through all the clutter that's out there yep. uh, or, or, you know, just finding the one engagement with somebody where they would, you know, share or retweet uh, or, 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 uh, uh, you know, circulate something I'd done that suddenly it would pop and explode and there'd be a lot more humans there. Um, so that's kind of been the hang up up till now. Like they take longer to do than the written pieces mm-hmm. and yeah. I get the same result. Uh, which kind of makes me go, well, I, you know, I should just, I'll do two written pieces in the time I would do one of those. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, there have been enough people who've asked about it that, that I'm likely to, 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 to take another stab at it at some point here um, because I've got everything set up. It's all there. And uh, it's just, it really is, uh, you know, everybody on Earth has a YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and competing with, with all the people on Earth. Uh, I'm not. I'm not really that fast or or that sharp. Well, as, as somebody who does this on a regular basis, um, I can tell you that my uh, my my Facebook, my Instagram, all that is filled with these ads that tell me if I just give somebody a thousand dollars, they'll give me the the keys to the car. So apparently, that's all you need is just a couple thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, what you what, what what you really need is is to put to be the one putting those ads on everybody's yeah, page. Yeah, that's what you need. Because <laughs> then I'd have the thousand bucks, and I wouldn't care about the yeah, people yeah, watching exactly. the video. Uh, Tom, thanks so much uh, for your time. We'd love to have you back sometime. Uh, sure, definitely. We got so much stuff to talk about. Thank you again. Um, such a pleasure. And we'll have the link for everybody for your website in the show notes. Great. Yes. Um, and uh, do, do you are you on Twitter or anything like that that you want to pimp out? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, uh, I'm 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 relatively easy to find. I'm on Twitter as Tom Brevoort. I'm on Facebook as Tom Brevoort. Nice. On Tumblr, I can be found as Tom Brevoort. <laughs> on Instagram, I think it's a little different. I think it's like TMB one one seven seven nine. But you know, I'm sure if you search Tom Brevoort there, I'll come up. Okay. Um, you know, I, I uh, I'm a master of subterfuge when it comes to the, the social arts. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tom. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. And uh, remember the spot dupe. <laughs> we need these books. Okay. All right. <laughs> Very good. I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> All right. And we're back. Nice. So, I mean, what more do you want to know about the guy? He's he's there and he's in all the books that you're reading. So, yeah, uh, I mean, go support Marvel. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Usually, we're like, you know, go to this link, go to this website. It's Marvel.com. Yeah, or, 
Well, uh, go to TomBrevoort.com. Yeah, go to, Tom, yeah, go to yeah. TomBrevoort.com. Check out his YouTube videos. <laughs> go to Marvel.com? Question mark. Uh, yeah, so. Um, all right, let's talk about... We do have some comic news this week, so that's always good. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Marvel has announced that Kate Bishop is returning to her own limited series, Shocking, just in time for the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. This five-issue series will bring back the hero to New York City from writer uh, Mariki Nishkamp and artist Anid Balam. So this makes sense. They do they do this shit every time <laughs> uh, when an obscure character pops up. I mean, DC does the same thing. And, uh, you know, the only time we ever get a Shazam solo series or, like, at least six issues is when, like, you know, the next year a Shazam movie is coming out. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, if you like Kate Bush, Bishop and Hawkeye, this is your book, right? Synergy. Synergy. Synergy, everybody. Yeah, I, I know people love Kate Bishop. I um, I don't know, just not Hawkeye in general. Like, even Clint's stuff, I'm just like, okay. For some reason, Hawkeye doesn't get to me. Right. But then it's just like Green Arrow, and he's got like the... Yeah, the boxing glove yeah, arrow. Right, I'm just right. like, let's do this, everybody. <laughs> I know. I don't know what it is about, like... They went to the gimmick arrows before Hawkeye did, or Hawkeye is too serious, or something. You know, like I don't know. This I, I like him as like a supporting cast character, but yeah, I, I never, yeah. I don't think I've ever picked up a solo book by his. Yeah, I have. I have read the Matt Fraction book. Everybody, everybody, yes. the fuck oh yeah, everybody, chill. That's that's the best one. <laughs> uh, he's read it. Uh, Marvel's bringing a fan critic favorite series this fall. Uh, Chip Zdarsky, Marco Chinchetto's Daredevil will end. With issue 36, Zdarsky has said in interviews that the series is coming to an end for now. Um, this means that a new creative team will be maybe will be announced for Daredevil, or it can mean that the current one will be relaunching the series with a new number one, maybe even a new title. We know how much Marvel likes to do their all-new, all-now, new number ones. So Yeah, that's why when Chip like said... He, I love Chip. He, when he says, like, uh, I know every creator says this, but, like, seriously, like, we've been building up to this moment. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's coming to an end. My feeling is that uh, the whole Matt in jail thing is going to come to an end. Because mm-hmm. I can see where they're kind of crescendoing that, and it's getting yeah. kind of long in the tooth. And we're going to get a book, probably by the same creative team, maybe called Daredevils. Oh, okay. Like that's my <laughs> feeling that we're gonna get like yeah. a team up book with Electra and Matt. Daredevils number yeah. one. That wouldn't shock me. I, I, that's where my money's at right now. I mean, an issue one will sell more, way more than issue thirty six. I'll tell you that. Yeah. If you haven't picked up Chips Daredevil, though, it's phenomenal. It's I just do. Like, I do like some Chips Zdarsky. So, yeah. um, Marvel yeah, Shadows are just. Oh yeah. Yes. Uh, Marvel has announced that after. The year-long War of the Bounty Hunters Star Wars event. There will be a five-issue series coming out of the spin of it. Star Wars Crimson Rain will be written by Charles Soule and art by Steve Cummings. The series will follow Kira as she builds the criminal organization Crimson Dawn back up as a force across the galaxy. Um, I'm guessing after that five-issue series, something something's going to be happening with another book. But I have a feeling that after that five-issue series... We're going to skip to after Empire Strikes Back. Or, I'm sorry, no. We're, we're currently after Empire. Yeah. After Jedi, and we're finally going to like get connective tissue. Uh-huh. With the, with the um, 
that brings everything together. Yeah. Like I've been enjoying them going between the movies. It's fun. They've been yeah. doing some cool stuff, but like I've been waiting for like let's see what happens after right. the end of the Empire and everything. Uh and yeah. bringing back Kira, like of course, that's the part that of Soul that everybody loved. So right. we gotta bring that character back. Yep. Uh Substack. This is, this is a new comic platform. Adds another heavy hitter to the list of comic creators. Donnie Cates and Ryan Stegman's KLC Press is live on the service and will launch their new series, Vanish, on the platform first before printing it at Image Comics. Um, yeah, I just keep hearing more and more about Substack and more and more creators tweeting about Substack. Uh, I guess we'll just wait and see when it all starts happening, right? I mean, if it's it almost seems too good to be true, but yeah. So I I did some like in the depth research, and by that I mean I gave Scotty Young money. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so first, you can sign up as just like a mailing list thing. Yeah. Just like be a part of. So if you're like I don't know, but you want to see what he's doing, uh-huh. and it'll tell you like what's going on, what we're planning, and everything, and then when stuff releases, and then maybe that's when you want to throw your money down. You can do that. But uh, what I'm seeing is Scotty himself was just like, yeah, we're do- bringing back I Hate Fairyland. He goes, I'm not drawing it, but I got someone great to do it. And he showed like promo images and it's phenomenal. And then we're also going to do these little mini cartoons that I'm going to collect later on an image as well. But that's going to be the Substack stuff. We're going to get those. And then when I Hate Fairyland comes out of image, you'll also get a PDF of that. It's just like Patreon. There's tiers. You could do right. like the ultra mega tier and get this, but huh. it's cool. It's a cool platform. I'm down to check out even more. Yeah, especially I'll, Donnie Cates going to it now with Ryan Stegman. So I'll probably throw Kids Love Chains Press my money too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, Brian Michael Bennis's DC exclusive contract has officially ended. That's That seems. Rather quick. Uh, while there's no news of Bendis leaving Just League or DC in general, he's found a new home for his creator-owned imprint, Jinx World, at Dark Horse. Dark Horse will now be printing all the previous Jinx World comics collections and has announced a new series coming this fall. Um, Bendis's Dark Horse move kicks off this November with a newly announced title called Joy Operations from Bendis and artist Stephanie Byrne, which is described as Akira meets Inception. Okay. Um, Stephen Byrne. Oh, sorry, Stephen Byrne. <laughs> uh, yeah, Stephanie. My bad. I'm sorry, uh, Stephen Byrne. Um, yeah. So I, this whole Bendis thing with you know his contracts up at DC. I mean, not to disrespect Bendis in general, but like apart from, I mean, we got we got a cool uh you know legion legion of superheroes book but that never really resolved what did we get from all this uh we got a okay superman run like i enjoyed it but it wasn't anything i don't know i don't know if it was covid related or Um, they had all these big plans for him to do all this stuff and then it kind of just like fell flat yeah, and I'm really, I'm actually mad that Legion fell through because I loved his Legion. Yeah, like, um, I'm never gonna find out who the hell the Gold Lantern is. Yeah, <laughs> like how do you leave a book like that? And you don't tell anybody about the most interesting character. 
And I was actually like, I've been cutting back my poll list and yeah. uh, moving more digital as well. Uh-huh. And I was just like, I looked over, I'm like, I'm four issues behind on Justice League. Because oh. I bought the new copy last week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm four issues behind. So, like, do I care about this book? And it's not that I don't like it. It's just that, okay, like, I've read Bendis before, and this yeah. just seems like kind of standard Bendis. And, 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 like, I thought he was the reason they were pushing the whole Naomi, like, part of the Justice League book. Yeah. yeah. So, I know that his, like, he was the last big exclusive contract they had that I'm mm-hmm. aware of. Yeah. And they're trying to move away from those because they're expensive. Yeah. And they need to make money now. Mm-hmm. I don't, other than that, I don't... I, it's... I think it's weird that they're doing that because you're seeing kind of a falling off of the, the like top tier creators. You have some guys like Jeff Johns who just loves DC and will never leave. Right. But like, and I don't know if this has to do with Grant's exit, but uh, they're leaving too. And then what does Bendis do? Is he going to stick around? How long is he going to stick around? I don't know. And then who's your other like really great creator at dc yeah i, I mean even dd do anything in a while i mean S- scott snyder just said that he's going to comicsology <laughs> yeah and um, james tinian's doing his own stuff now like tinian left um yeah. i think joshua williamson what he's doing is fun i like it right and i think he's an up-and-comer i think he's gonna be a big name in the next couple of years but like he's not exactly that guy yet I mean, you got Tom Taylor doing Superman now, or he's doing the Son of Superman right now and stuff. Yeah, I'm not going to say you have nobody. You do. You have Tom Taylor. Ram V's doing what I'm hearing is a great run on Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. I'm sure we could find more, but like we don't have those heavy hitters as much anymore. You don't have someone like Grant Morrison coming out with a book, and they know that they're going to sell a shit ton. Yeah, and this is a bad example because we talked about how Wade's coming back in a few months, but like it's not like the day when you had Grant Morrison, Mark Wade. Uh, Dan Jurgens, Levitz, like all like top yeah. tier, best of all time creators. And right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'll be interested to see what uh, DC's future is. I mean, they do have one top tier creator. I'm sorry. They have Stephanie Phillips. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, Stephanie. Yeah, we, yeah. Yeah. Love you, Stephanie. But yeah. it does seem like they're kind of re- like resetting the ball. Like it's almost like uh, <laughs> I've been doing this too much. I think it's because it's football season and I'm getting into <laughs> it. But. It's almost like uh, you're you're the the Miami Dolphins a few years back, and it's like okay, it's time to rebuild. So let's uh, let's acquire some draft picks. We'll bring in some newcomers, and uh, we'll build up. And in a few years, we'll be we'll be ready to do it. And like now, it's the year. It's like is is Miami going to be the team? Is you know is Tua the guy? You know is Stephanie the the person to lead the charge? Is Philip Kenny yeah. Johnson the person? Or you know so? Oh yeah, that's true, Phil. I. I mean, it's so funny because we're like, they don't have anybody, but these names that we mentioned are up in newcomers, quote unquote, but they're all killing it. You know what I mean? So maybe they're yeah. just like, we don't need them. They're, at, yeah. they're, they're great creators, the people yeah. I love, but right. I'm just like, it's not like, it's, I don't want to say Bendis. But like, maybe it's, even DC realized that, like you said, the contracts are expensive, but they're like, we have some great shit being put out right now and we don't need those contracts right now. You know, like, this is what people yeah. are reading. There could be other stuff to it too. Like, there's a big conversation in the world right now about paying creators their fair share, right? And uh, we won't get too much into that. But like, maybe someone in high ups, like, well, you know, like we bring this person who is doing like indie stuff, and like they're gonna want to prove themselves. So, 
They'll give yeah. us their A game. We're like, Mark Wade isn't gonna give us their A game. Yeah. Like Mark Wade's gonna do his stuff over here and then he's gonna make a billion dollars off of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's and then he's gonna leave for another few years. Yeah. So all right, well let's but, talk yeah, about interesting. Yeah. with that, let's talk about what we read this week. Um I've I've caught up on uh Fantastic Four life story. Um this is the eighties era, which um a lot of stuff happening because this is like the whole Cold War era, like missiles being fired. Uh, kind of weird that the Invisible Woman has a relationship with Namor. <laughs> um, and then there's like a whole big fight and uh, uh, Johnny Storm dies, which was a whole thing. I'm learning a lot about the Fantastic Four, you know, I never knew all this stuff, so. It's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, this, this life storybook's doing its thing. Um, Superman the Authority, number two of four. This is the Grant Morrison book um, where Superman is working with the British guy. I cannot remember his name, but they're putting together a team of, uh, or it's uh, Manchester Black. They're putting together a team of uh, villains, and not mostly villains, but some uh, heroes as well to help out with. Um, and this is such a Grant Morrison issue. I don't know if did you read it? No, I still haven't gotten into that one. So uh, we get we get a glimpse of like people he's recruiting, and one of them is uh, Steel's daughter, um, who has a she has a uh, like a cybernetic suit like Steel does, but she's fighting some like ma- there's threats materializing from data space. Okay. And it's called Internet Made Manifest. So the thing she's fighting, okay, like literal trolls, because, you know, internet trolls, okay? Mm-hmm. And then these dudes show up. Uh, behold, Edgelords Eternal. <laughs> so they're Edgelords that are Eternal. This is such a Grant Morrison thing. And so, like, so now these three Edgelords are like, girls can't be superheroes, especially silver-skinned girls. Disgrace, disagree, and naked pictures go to granny, boss, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's like these edgelords like on a forum, you know, like screaming about women in power. <laughs> it's like they're fighting a woman superhero. It's ridiculous. Um, so we get a glimpse of her. She's joining the team, obviously. Um, and then we have. So um, the Apollo for Midnight or Apollo is going to join the team. But the way they introduce them, they do all these sub they do all these sub uh, stories. And this one is called Apollo and the Midnighter are hard. Which is okay. <laughs> which is a, a joke because we know that they're in a relationship with each other, everybody. So, um, so they're basically fighting this like this villain in the desert, and Apollo keeps reminding the Midnighter that it's like, oh, it's my an- it's our anniversary, blah blah blah. And he's like, yeah, I remember. Um, I got your gift. I got you. Is you're going to be on a team with Superman? And he's like, oh my god, that's the best. And <laughs> uh, so you have Apollo and Midnighter, and then we have. Um, uh, we have June. Uh, what's her name? June Moon is the enchantress, right? Um, she's she's going to be a part of the team. So there's there's like this weird ragtag of people they're putting together to help out, um, to help out Superman. And uh, the next issue, Superman and the Authority are going to hell. So I don't know who else they're recruiting, but um. It's it's an interesting team that Graham Morrison's putting together. I don't know how he's going to wrap this up in four issues, so we'll see. It's, it's uh, I like it so far, though. 
Um, you know how Grant Morrison is, though. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy Requiem. Um, this was issue three, I believe. Uh, basically, the um, one of the heroes goes to another world and talks to these other heroes and said, "Yeah, like our our planet was given um, powers just like Earth was, kind of in a different way. Though, like you guys went to a mountain and they went somewhere. Um, but there's also a villain that's part of that world. Like, and they they're pretty cool looking. They look like Vikings almost, and they like um, they live like." on this like frost planet and they basically, they find out that the earth is weak and their fences are poor. Like they're a fairly new system with heroes. So they're going to, I think they're going to go down there and try to kill earth. Um, so you have that happening. Like we finally found like Jupiter's legacy has finally become like a, you know, more of a sci-fi story now. Um, but also this, <laughs> this issue follows around Sky Fox and how he, um, is kind of like down and out and needs money. So like, he's just been like partying it up and he wakes up like he had hooked up with this woman. And so he wakes up the next day and this kid is like playing video games, eating Cheetos. And that's her son. And he basically says like, okay, um, um, he's like, feels bad for the kid because the mom is like a deadbeat. <laughs> and he's like, you're just going to play video games and eat Cheetos all day. He goes, yeah. So he brings him like to a, a carnival. And the kid's like, oh, this is awesome. And then he leaves them and he goes to like this meeting because he's he's trying to make money. So he's like been working mm-hmm. with these criminals. Um, and then by the end of the day, he's like, oh, shit, I forgot about the kid. <laughs> and so he goes back for the kid and the kid's like, um, he brings him back to the house. The mom is still like passed out for the day. And he's like, wow, this is really fucking sad. Um, so he's like, why don't you just make me your sidekick? And he's like, you know what? Why the hell not? So he pretty much gets this little kid <laughs> to be like his young ward. And he's not a good role model at all. Like he's, you know, completely like a bum and like a scumbag and like trying to like make, you know, ends meet. Um, basically he's trying to find jobs with criminals where he goes along with them with that teleporting device he has. And they don't want him to go along. They just want the teleporting device, but he won't, mm-hmm. he won't give it up. So um, another great issue beyond breach. Number two, beyond the breach. Um, this is a. Uh, this is the book about where you know this girl is driving to get away from her recent breakup and enters this new world. Um, this is Ed Brisson, uh, Damian Cuchero, and the art. The art's amazing. This is aftershock book. Basically, they're fighting this giant like monster, and this this old knight shows up and saves them. Um, it sounds like, and he's like riding this giant tortoise, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but he says that he's from another world too. So now we have like three different worlds in the mix that we don't know. And then by the end of the issue, um, these these like sci sci fi like futuristic people show up, and uh, they seem like they're from another world too. So it's a lot of these different worlds are like colliding for some reason in this one area. Um, in like different genres of like you have monsters, you have like this knight riding a, a giant tortoise. You know, like fantasy and now you have like sci-fi coming together pretty interesting so far uh, are you st- are you reading batman catwoman yes but i think it's a uh, issue uh it's okay uh, i think the highlight of the issue is old old catwoman puts on a, a, a costume and fights with her daughter um and then she admits to her that she did kill the joker 
Is that issue six? Um, I'll tell you. Issue six. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Shazam. Issue two. So we know Shazam's down in hell. Um, and he's been here before. Basically, they need to find the Rock of Eternity. Um, they get, like, hell is like a giant Las Vegas, pretty much, which is just kind of funny. And the head of the casino, like, knows where it is. So there's this big fight um, with Shazam and this demon. And the guy that brought him down there, um, come to find out, his name's Nevermore, and he's actually the son of Underlord, of the Underlord. And he's like heir to the dark realm. So he's got a little more explaining to do than just being, you know, some person that was part of the, uh, the Titans Academy. So that's how he got Shazam down to hell in the first place. Um, it's a really cool book. Uh, Snow Angels, uh, season two, issue three. Um, basically, you know, there's a giant trench in this village they found, the snowman actually follows the two kids down there and one of the kids, one of the sisters, the older sister starts fighting with them to hold them back. And the younger sister, she tells her to go, go along, go along and run away. So she runs away while the other sister is fighting the snowman robot thing. And meanwhile, um, while they're walking through the cave, we do see a, a dead um, giant Colden one. They talk about. So it looks like this giant, like alien thing that's sitting there. So they did exist. We just don't know what they were. Uh, then you have Radiant Black, uh, the newest issue. Number seven. Good yeah, issue. Great issue. Uh, we get another Radiant Hero thing with like a dark saber, which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, this book is just awesome. So a huge fight scene with all the Power Rangers, you know, assembled. Um, but obviously they still have some issues to settle between like the red, the red one being, you know, stealing and putting... Uh, Radiant Black's friend in the hospital. Um, and then this crazy shit happens where the uh, the pink, the Radiant Pink, I guess we'll call her, or yeah, accidentally teleports them to the middle of space as they're trying to get away from this new villain. And there's this huge like sci-fi war going on between these two alien races and like robots. And they're like, oh, this probably isn't the place we want to be. So they get them out of there and uh, lands them in Russia, but all, and then the radiant red and the radiant yellow find the, um, find the villain has like cracked his helmet and crashed into the ground trying to attack the other one. So they're going to try to figure out who it is. I thought it was a great issue though. Yeah. Loved it. And that's what I had this week. So uh, I'll try to be quick, but uh, some free comic book day issues I got to pick up. Oh, nice. Um, first, both Marvel. <laughs> first is Avengers slash Hulk. And uh, the for one, I think uh, everybody out there should grab these. Um, if you're on Comicsology, they're free as well. The Avengers one is going to take place during the 50th issue, which I believe is also the 750th issue. Um, and it's Jason Aaron. It's a new story arc. He's going across the multiverse to create a new Masters of Evil that's uh, de- destroying universe after universe and coming for ours. It's, I know it sounds familiar, but I don't care. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the backup of, of it is the introduction to Donnie Cates and uh, um, Ryan Otley's Hulk. 
and it's just Hulk fights Modok. Yeah, I and, saw uh, that. Yeah. Modok creates this giant Hulk Buster armor, and uh, it it's a quick fight just to give you the idea of like what they're doing, and then it ends where I think the next uh, or the first issue will begin, which is with Hulk going somewhere that's going to really determine the direction of the series. Uh, Spider Man and Venom free comic book day. So I didn't. I started to read the Spider Man one, and then I realized it was about the Ben Riley story, and I was like, I don't care about this, so I moved on. Um, I'm just gonna be real with everybody here. But then the backup was the Venom story, which is uh, Ram V and Al Ewing, uh, them taking over the book, and it's really good. So we got little moments with uh, uh, Dylan now that he's taking over as Spider Man, or I'm sorry, as Venom. And how he's kind of dealing with things and dealing with the fact that he has the Venom symbiote. And then we get a little moment with Eddie uh, as he tries to communicate with these other symbiotes across the galaxy to take care of an issue. And it does like quick teases for what we can expect. Um, It was pretty good. The art was phenomenal. Um, I look forward to that series too. And then we already talked about Radiant Black. It was awesome. Moon Knight number two, Moon Knight fights more vampires. It's a lot of fun. It's on the ground superhero stuff with vampires involved. And uh, we get kind of a little bit more of a clue of who this new villain's going to be. Um, this other god, or uh, I'm sorry, other acolyte of Khonshu. And uh, we also get like a glimpse into Moon Knight's powers and how like gods affect his brain. And what he's able to do with that, because he fights this guy who can kind of take over people's minds and turn them into his puppets. So it was a really good issue. Really liked it. And this too, it's only two issues now, but Jeb McKay's done a great job in both issues. One and done issues, it does have a thread line that goes through, but you could literally jump in on either issue and know what's going on. Okay. Uh, Marjorie Finnegan, Temporal Criminal, number four. Really good issue. Uh, Marjorie's in jail. She gets out of jail. How she get out of jail? She finds an old friend who happens to be a cyborg velociraptor that she ran a class time with. Amazing. This book's crazy and awesome, and I love it. Everybody check it out. And then my final one is Guardians of the Galaxy number 17, which is continuing the Annihilation story arc, uh, where we find out what Dormammu's plan is, and his plan is to take over five planets and create a giant pentagram in space in which he will come out of. And uh, then we also find out that at one point Galactus just gave uh, uh, Mogo. No, not Mogo. That's DC. Uh, uh, Ego. Um, Ego, the living planet. Um, Gave him some of his powers so that he could create a body for himself. And we also know that Dormammu started to take over Ego. So we find a fucking Galactus size Dormammu come through a portal at the end of the issue. Which, of course, uh, Why not? probably not. Probably not good things, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's really good. It's a really awesome series. And that's all I read this week. Oh, oh yeah, I did read a shitload of Star Wars because I was like twenty issues behind. <laughs> and yeah. it's fucking crazy Star Wars with Boba Fett involved. Pew pew pew. That's the yeah. description. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> so, Mike, where can people find you on the internet? They can find me at Fortress Ricker on Twitter. Where can they find you and/or the show? Well, they can find me at Fortress Chris on Twitter, and they can also find the show at Fortress Comics underscore on Twitter or at FortressComicNews.com, where everything we do is right there on that handy-dandy website. Remember, everybody, to give us the five-star review on the podcatcher of your choice, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you use. 
and to like, subscribe, share, comment down below on the YouTube channel. So I want to thank you all so much for listening. And uh, Mike will be here next week to talk to you. But actually, this Wednesday, I am talking to another creator, and that will be up for you all to listen to. So we'll see you all then. Bye.